the reason that there is such pride in black love is because there was such a force to destroy it. If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life. Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white. No second chances, no opportunities in sight. Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite. What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands, it's the American scheme. If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams. Really some embarrassing things. Institutional change, generational things. Systematic oppression, generational pain. Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an outlier, you really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you've given up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you've given up? Welcome to the heart of the matter in black and white with Becky Holloway and Essence Rebels. Today, we will be discussing black love what it means, and how the phrase is perceived amongst different races. Yeah. All right, Becky. So you and I have talked about Black love and just the topic several different times throughout our planning phases of the podcast series. And this is something that is near and dear to me, near and dear to me for so many different reasons. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go into them. I'm gonna start. So so what does it mean to me, and why does it mean as much as it does to me? Right. So the phrase "black love," black love to me represents and highlights the struggle of the black community, but paints it if if successful in such a beautiful way. So what do I mean by that? If you think of what Black love means to and for the spirit of our ancestors, which is truly an unbreakable and spiritual bond of Blackness. And in the Black community, having to endure challenges that no other race can imagine and just doing that together. If you think back to, to slavery, so slaves were forbidden to marry. Mm-hmm. families torn apart literally husband husband over here on this block wife over here on this block let's separate them kids separate it and just think about the struggles and the challenges that we had to face in order to to get to a place of marriage and love and in the black community from my perspective there are not many examples of what you would call black love so black love to me means two um, two people in, in a committed, successful, happy marriage, Black mm-hmm. people. And there's, there are not many examples of that to, for me and, it, and for the Black community from, from the community that I have grown up in. And what do I always say, right? Representation matters. Yeah. You can't be what you can't see. And this is why seeing the Obamas and other celebrities that, I mean, to us, they seem happy, right? We don't know what happens in their house, but to (laughs) us, they seem happy. And seeing that happy, successful marriage is just something that we cherish because it's not something that we see all the time. So 
it's interesting you talk about the utter destruction of the the black family unit going back to slavery so it's it sounds like part of black love is working against what was a systematic destruction of the family unit starting with the mom and dad and forbidding them to marry and if they married in secret you know and it was found out separating them making sure that there wasn't um, family connection there taking children away from mothers you know moving them to a different plantation or farm or location or whatever the struggle over the centuries has been to win back what was destroyed is that kind of a, a fair representation of what you're talking about? Absolutely. That is, that's exactly so. So you talked about, um, and we both talked about the destruction of the family from the beginning. And if you real, and if you talk about what that looks like now in modern day, in general, to, to me, white society has forbidden black love for centuries, right? Mm. Starting with slavery. And then you move to how the government deters single moms from having a man in the house if they need housing assistance. Now, I say that, but I bet you there are some people that are thinking, yeah, well, they're all single moms. Not all single moms are Black. No, no, no. But if you look at the statistics, the share of families headed by single parents is 75%, 75% of African-Americans, 59% of Hispanics, 38% of whites. 28% of Asians. So, so the majority and the fair share, unfair share of single moms or single parent households are in the African-American communities. So that to, to us seems like a straight target towards our community to say single women, if you're not married, which, which is, is, is something that is, I already said, is something that's not common or something that we see regularly in our community, single women, you're not allowed to have a man in the home. So then let's fast forward that, Becky, right? Because I'm not allowed to have a man in the, in the home. And the perception is that Black men don't take care of their households. Yeah. So this, this gets back to something we talked a little bit about during the Uncle Tom episode. So we talked about this perception of the absent black father, right? This is this is something where I I wonder is perception reality? Like is this a self-fulfilling prophecy? What what is it that's going on here? Because to generalize for the whole community, I mean, I don't have a statistic in front of me right now. You may. But, but I do. I okay, do. great. Perfect. <laughs> So let's talk about what do the numbers say? Yeah. So first let's talk about like, so perception, right? Perception. And let's talk about the quality versus the quantitative part. Okay. And fatherlessness seems to be defined by if you live with your dad or not, if you live with your father, if there's a father in the home, but I can think of plenty of people, Becky, that have dads living with them and still feel like they don't have a father in the home. And let's, let's put a pin in that for a second. Because how many white families are there where the parents are divorced? And until recently, fathers only had their kids on every other weekend, 
but those children would never be called fatherless. Right. And, and how Isn't can that you interesting. say exactly like how can what, what is father? What is the level of fatherlessness here? Like, so, are you saying that they're not um, because there are plenty different, uh, like you said, divorced or separated or what have you, where there's joint custody and kids are spending time with their dad. They just don't live with them. So for you to right. say that that is judged by parents, that fathers that are not in the home, that has nothing to do with the quality of the relationship that they have with their fathers. Right. So is it the amount of time? So in my instance, I am a divorced parent. I share custody 50-50. Literally, my kids are with me one week, then they go to their dads one week. So it's right down the middle. But what if it were 60-40 or 70-30 or 80-20? what is the number at which those kids are fatherless or motherless? I like, I don't, I don't know what that means. And, and what about kids who live with their parents a hundred percent of the time, but have zero relationship with one of the parents, right? Exactly, so what Becky. is this act? So I guess we have to define what is fatherless. Now you mentioned single black mothers who, who feel that they can't have a man in the home because they, it will impact their ability to get public assistance in some way. Yes. So, and that's definitely, I think there's definitely a stereotype in the white community of, of that, you know, what do they call like a welfare queen, right? Like that term. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I'm always hesitant because I, I wonder how much of it is like, is it propaganda? Like how much of that is even real, right? Given the way welfare is today in 2021, and, and then I guess the flip side of it is, and maybe you have some thoughts on this, wouldn't two adults bringing in income be better than being a single parent and getting public assistance? Because I don't think anyone's like, you know what, I'm going to do the bare minimum so I can just get public assistance. I don't think that's like the typical person out there. I'm sure there's like some group of people that that's the case, but I don't think that's like your average human. They're like, let me just do nothing and get public assistance. People yeah, struggle. I, They're I, trying to make ends meet. They can't. And that's why they need public assistance. Right. And I mean, in the, so like we said, who is out here defining what fatherlessness means, right? Mm -hmm. It's so subjective. <laughs> yeah. Who, who made that criteria really? So and, how would you define it? Like with, with your experience and the culture you grew up in, how would you essence define a fatherless family? A fatherless family? I would define it as a family of a child that has no relationship with their father. A father that's not even trying to build that relationship. The child has uh, expressed a longing to want to be with their dad or, or want to have a relationship with their dad. And just the, the father has no interest or doesn't know how to build that relationship. And to me, there are so many different examples we can give about broken homes, right? Mm -hmm. But to me, Becky, the onus always relies on the parent. If that, if that relationship was, was broken and the, and the kid feels like, and the kid continues to either lash out or be disrespectful, whatever, the parent should never stop trying. That has always been my perspective. The onus is on the parent. Yeah. So um, back to, you said, did I have any facts in front of me? So back to what you, and you also asked me what that looks like, like what does being a great father look like, or what does being 
a father that shows up, just the opposite of fatherlessness. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the CDC actually did a study and they said, um, so this, this goes to, is it actually a true perception that, uh, is the perception reality when we say that African-American men are not in the homes and don't take care of their households? So according to this CDC study, it is not true. It is not a fact. It is a myth. So among fathers who live with their children, Black dads are in many ways the most involved in their kids' lives. Black fathers are 70% were the most likely to have bathed, dressed, diapered, and helped their children use the toilet every day compared with white, 60%, and Hispanic fathers, 45%. Interesting. Also, more Black fathers than white fathers took their children to or from activities every day and helped their kids with homework. So there you have it. The wow. CDC has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this doesn't surprise me, right? This, you know, that's why I said, like, is, is perception the reality we've created? Or do the, the statistics, you know, actually speak to what the truth of the matter is right and it's clear that it's not the case that stereotypes and misinformation have penetrated the broader culture and so there is this perception of the the fatherless black family and and that is the you know one of the roots of the the problems in in the black community at least that's what that's yep. I think and the general white perception. Exactly. And and it's it's a felt perception, Becky. The black community feels that from sure. the white community and the interactions that the white community has with us. And to me, that is the the foundation and the basis of these the police abuse, the police killings that we see. Because when that white racist cop sees that black man or black woman, they don't see a person that should be respected and valued because you're destroying our economy. You're doing all these different negative things. You're an animal. You're doing all these different things that necessarily aren't even true. Yeah. You're a bottom feeder. You just leech off the system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it, and it, that, that's what feeds unconscious bias, right? Exactly. Like if you already have this kind of like simmering resentment towards another group of people, you're not even going to necessarily be aware of it, but right. it is going to inform all of these different things that you do subconsciously or unconsciously. Right. And, and so it's funny that you say what feeds and what the, what the underlining, um, processes are, brain processes are to unconscious bias or implicit bias, because I'm actually about to do a training on that. And what it is, is that our brain is forced to process millions of pieces of information every day that we have to take a shortcut. And that shortcut results in us saying, okay, I see Becky, let me put her in this box so I can quickly define what she would be like, what that interaction would be like, what the relationship would be like. Then I see Essence, let me put her in this box. Because there's so much coming in that we have sectioned off portions of our brain so we can get through our day more quickly. And part of it, like, let's, let's be fair. Part of it is evolution. Like we have evolved to sort of quickly assess situations, uh, uh, quickly assess danger versus 
you know, something that's helpful and good, right? Good versus bad, black versus white. That's right. Like, and I think, I think that it's, it's like a survival instinct from probably, you know, thousands and millions of years ago, right? That, that is like hardwired into us, but then we apply it in ways that are really destructive for a modern society. We don't need to be operating that way. It's very much like a lizard brain carryover from like a long time ago when we lived in caves. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I, I mean, I will, I will only challenge your evolution theory from my, um, spiritual connection with with god and just thinking that (laughs) period like that's just the way he designed us like he knew that there would be a time where we would have to that the world would be so fast around us that we figured we like we're we're gonna have to get through through this more quickly and how we're gonna do it like (laughs) i feel like that was already in our makeup and our when our creator made us so yeah i i I, I, no that's that's fine and i i think that um we I, I say that I think it's kind of hardwired in us or it's at this very core level because, you know, even, even myself as someone who, you know, deeply cares about fairness, um, about equity, about, you know, social justice and healing, like I, I find myself in very subtle ways still struggling with these like knee jerk reactions to things. And I, you know, it troubles me deep inside. Like, why do I still have these, this carryover? And, you know, it, it may, it may be for, you know, um, a group of people that maybe I don't understand their struggle, or I don't know many people who fall into a particular group. But I, I think this is something that if we're really, really honest, every human being alive struggles at some level with these knee-jerk reactions, these prejudices or biases. And, and what we need to do is take a moment to examine ourselves and, and, and be self-reflective. Like, what, what is this automatic thought? What, where is it coming from? Does it, is it helpful? Is it working for me? Is it working for the other person? And how do I be a better human? Exactly. And, and we can't expect years and years and decades and decades of um, unconscious bias and just learned stereotypes, prejudices, racism that we've built within ourselves to be fixed and reversed in one year. That's just right. not going to happen. It's going to take time. It's going to take compassion, heart, uh, self-reflection, like you said. So that that's just not something that we can expect to happen overnight, though, because it's such a has such a negative impact on the world. We would love it to be quick, right? And we're such a, we're in such a things need to happen fast and right now world right now. But yeah. it just doesn't. That's not reality, and it's not going to happen like that. So speaking of implicit bias and and just other stereotypes, let's talk about the word black love. And also how that word is offensive to mm. some communities. I have a, a friend who said to me, she's in a bi- biracial relationship, marriage. And she said, has said to me that when she sees the phrase black love, that she's offended. Mm. And, I, and I said, well, well, why are you offended? She said, because I immediately feel like people are saying to me that, 
because you are a white woman married to a black man that you are not the representation of black love that we're looking for. Oh, interesting. So to that, I will, I will speak, speak from my experience, my own prejudices and thinking of, I have family members that date outside of our race or so I have um, family members that male family members that date white women or date Asian women or Hispanic women, what have you. And I will just speak from the, the white perspective. And in my, in my younger days, I have thought to myself that why, why would you, why would you choose to date or, or marry someone outside of our race, especially of the white community, when they have mistreated us? for so many years. So my mind immediately goes into a, a protective phase. Like, I'm, what, how is their family going to treat my family member? How, what does their mom think of you? What is your dad? What is their, what does her dad think of you? Are they treating you right? So I immediately go into this, or, or how are they going to treat my, my brother, my uncle, my cousin, because of what we have seen and endured for so long from mm-hmm. the white community? So I saw a really interesting episode that Emmanuel Acho did um, about interracial relationships. Um, and he had two couples on. And one of the couples was um, the, the woman is from The Bachelor, uh, Rachel. I can't think of her last name right now. But remember, we talked about her when we, when we did our Hot Topics episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I guess, chose a white guy when she was on The Bachelorette. And um, so, you know, he, he posed some really difficult questions about, um, you know, what, what it's like for her, uh, you know, kind of like leaving, you know, quote unquote, leaving the black community to, to find a white guy and be with a white guy and kind of giving up on the black man. And then he also had another couple where it was, um, I think Lindsay Vaughn, um, who was a, a skier, an Olympic skier. And she, what, at least at the time was dating, um, a hockey player who was black and, and, you know, kind of pose the same questions to them. And it, it's very clear that, um, I'm not sure what the right way to put it is, but there, there, it seems as though there's some prejudice within the black community about sort of kind of like what you're just describing, like, um, you know, why would you, why would you want to be with someone who's been an oppressor or why would you, um, you know, buy into the stereotypes and give up on black men or things of that nature. And um, it was very interesting to hear their response, but the gist of it was you love who you love, right? Like in matters of the heart, you know, sometimes you, you just love someone and it, you're not thinking, oh my goodness, you're part of a race of people who have oppressed me or, you know, I really should be, you know, giving a chance to this other group of people. Like we just fall in love with people. So that was kind of, now I've not been in a, in an interracial relationship. Um, and I am kind of fascinated by it. Um, and when I hear you talk about black love, I only come at it from the perspective of a white person who's only ever been with white men. So I, you know, that's a, that's a very limited perspective, but I will say, I knew that this topic meant a lot to you because of how you've, you've expressed that in the past. 
And I felt like I didn't get it. Um, and so I was like, I was eager to learn more about it because I knew it meant a lot to you. So I, I knew there had to be a lot more to this. And I was interested to hear what you wanted to, to say and the different areas you wanted to go into with it. I will say that on the face of it, black love to me sounds exclusionary. It doesn't sound like an inclusive kind of, um, you know, designation, but maybe that's okay. And I, so I wanted to come to this topic, just open-minded and kind of like I did when I was first learning about what Black Lives Matter meant. Cause I think a lot of people with, you know, with that organization felt like, oh, well that's, you know, all lives matter. Well, okay. Of course they do. Right. We don't think you should go around killing human beings, but all lives aren't the issue right now, right? And we've talked about that and why Black Lives Matter is such an important statement um, and, and cause. And so I was like, well, I just wanna, I wanna become more educated and understand where essence is coming from. So that's kind of my, my thoughts there. Thank you for your honesty. I love, I love that. Sure. I, lo <laughs> I love that you honestly said that there, the phrase um, seems to bring about some exclusivity there or yeah. just like exclusion of other races like what why is black love so important not white love or or what have you right yeah. so I, I will say that initially when you just said that I'm like here we go all lives matter right so I will say that when I spoke about in the beginning how I I said that the reason that there is such pride in black love is because there was such a force to destroy it yeah the destruction of black love from the for centuries and centuries makes us feel like there is a need to focus on black love and protect it and and just claim it as sacred because mm -hmm. It was not allowed. There was a time where it was not allowed, Becky. Think yeah. of that. Like it, it, that's sick. Yeah. And I and is. I think about so so now I'm gonna get personal and we and we can close on this note on what how it personally how it affects me, how I work towards it every day because I have such pride in it and, and the marriage that I have with my husband. And I just I think to myself all the time about how I have to work hard to value him and appreciate him because the world doesn't. Mm. And I have to make up for the disrespect that he could possibly endure when he leaves our house. And if you think about that concept though, Becky, right? So, so I am, um, I'm a very self-reflective person as I think every, all of our listeners now realize, right? <laughs> and I think about, and I process things and I'm very selfless. And I, I just think like, man, I'm doing this. And he, my, my husband is a phenomenal man and, and you know him very well. And he yeah. reciprocates that same love to me. But when you think about a younger a uh, younger couple or or just a a less experienced couple that is not that has not seen an example of commitment or have not dedicated to making that relationship work because they don't they haven't seen anything else they've only seen destruction right and you can't be what you can't see and when yeah. you think about when you're trying to love a man so much to make up for 
everyone else's react or what he's enduring from the rest of the world. Meanwhile, you need your own loaf. Yeah. So, so that, that concept is very tough to be able to digest. It's very hard to, to be able to live when both of you are not able to be committed to that love and that success of the relationship because you either don't know how because you've never seen it or you just 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 not just not committed to that success that's a heavy load to bear though right like I don't ever think about with my own husband oh I have to carry you know this weight of of respect and love for him that he doesn't get from you know the world around him um, you know, I may think that when it comes to some family relationships, but I don't think about it kind of like from society at large. That's a, that's like next level. Yeah. And, if, and Becky, that can, that theme continues to show up in our podcast, right? Yeah. How I always explain to you, and uh, we've seen different examples, different celebrities feeling like they have to carry the weight of the entire black race on their backs. Right. And right. that, and that to me is why black love, black lives deserve to be exclusive. Well, thank you for sharing that. Like I, I, this has been really eye-opening and I'll, I'll, you know, me, I'll think about this and I'll listen back through the episode and, um, you know, this, this is really helpful, but I'm, I'm wondering for, for our listeners, especially our listeners who are black, um, you know, are there any words of advice or, you know, things that you would encourage them as they're trying to cultivate and guard their own relationship? You know, what, what is it that you do? You've, you've alluded to it a little bit, but what, what are the things you do in your own relationship that you think are important and are, um, you know, protective of black love? Communication communication to the extent of we will talk through and walk each other through every problem, disagreement, agreement, what have you, just in the mutual respect that we have for each other. So no matter, no matter what the other person is going through or enduring, we are always 100% supportive, listening, and we also in this house, we forget about gender roles. Mm. There is not the, the woman makes all or the, the woman takes care of the kids and the man makes the money. No, no, no. Every equal, equal. Mm -hmm. Everyone does their part in this house and in this relationship and in our marriage. We are 100% about just making it work and by any means necessary. And if you, um, in your communication with your loved one in your marriage or in your relationship, if that is not reciprocated and there is not a mutual understanding that we will make this relationship work, even, if, even when it's hard, even when it hurts, despite whatever high school, childhood things that you played with when you were younger, just saying to yourself and saying to your mate that, this is um, this is this relationship and this love that we share will drive the 
the success of every relationship outside of here. So the happiness and the love that I share with my husband drives my success in my career because mm-hmm. he is the one that every decision, I mean, literally, Becky, we make pros and cons lists for everything. <laughs> if I'm on a new project, it's like, okay, all my great decisions, I, I he will love that I said this, but all my great decisions and great ideas that I present at work, 99% of the time, they came from my husband. Mm. So that's how connected and connected and just respectful of each other. So other things that, that come to mind is when, if my husband and I have a, have a disagreement, and say we have a disagreement right before we pull up to, to Becky and Nick's house. <laughs> no one will know that because that is our, that is, that we go right into, Carl and Essence are here to enjoy our friend's company, enjoy, enjoy each other. When we get yeah. back in the car, it also helps us be like, now what were we even arguing about? So just being able to support love each other and just communicate to a level that you're probably not going to be able to reach with any other person and being dedicated to that and putting that person at times before yourself and praying for them and just doing things for them and and just for the benefit of the longevity of the relationship your children if they're involved or your marriage wise words so that's my answer. It's a very long answer, but I guess I wasn't prepared for that question. Just how you, how, how we um, make black love work or make any love work is it starts with your heart and it starts with commitment, dedication, and value and, and finding the things that you value first yeah. and never deterring from them. And I would, I'm going to add a little uh, tip in here as someone who has, you know, lost a relationship, um, that I had for a long time, I think don't be afraid to get help, right? Like if you're struggling in your relationship and you think that it's worth, if it's, if it's worth saving and hanging in there, get some professional help. Um, there are lots of, uh, therapy resources out there and, um, you know, my husband and I very proudly have been in couples therapy for basically since the beginning of our relationship. And I don't think we'll ever stop because especially, especially if you do come from a broken home, um, my, my husband genuinely is the definition of fatherless. He never met his biological father. And, um, I come from a difficult background as well. And so when you haven't had good relationships modeled, um, you have to find your own path. And so you're probably going to need some help with that. And so for those, those of our listeners who, you know, maybe don't have that model, you know, you've said you can't be what you don't see. There are people who can be that model for you. And and maybe that comes in the form of a a therapist or a, a mentor or a friend or something like that. Absolutely. And even if you are in a committed, happy relationship or marriage, still seeking out advice and counseling because you want to always perfect your craft, right? right. You, you, can, you can only continue to grow and get better and better. And yes. if you don't continue to pour into your love and into your relationship and marriage, then you will, you will get stagnated. 
and you yes. will not grow to the next level and continue to to see what that love can truly grow to become relationships are just like a garden if you do not tend to it every day it's gonna die exactly it's gonna die so you've got to take care of it absolutely thank you for listening to the heart of the matter in black and white please join us next time for part two of racism in the justice system If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life. Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white. No second chances, no opportunities in sight. Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite. What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands, it's the American scheme. If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams. Really some embarrassing things. Institutional change, generational things. Systematic oppression, generational pain. Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an ally, you really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you giving up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you giving up?